And you're very welcome back to part three of Where the Road Takes Me. Well, true to say that without Walter Dwyer, the poor Clare sisters may never have come to Cork. When Walter died in 1925, he was as close to his beloved daughter Maria as possible. His wish had been fulfilled. When he died eventually, he died in the Bon Secours Hospital. His body was brought over here in the coffin and spent a night in our chapel before he was buried. So he got his wish to be near Mary at the end. And uh, his son Billy then took over from him and was always very good to us here. The others would have been too indeed, but uh, Billy took on the responsibility. And uh, he, at one time they were thinking of building um, houses here to, near near to us. The Jennings were selling off their land there. And um, there's kind of a rise in the land so that the houses would have been completely overlooking us in the garden and everything. So uh, there was a bit of um, trepidation about it all. So Billy said, no problem, I'll buy the land altogether and give it to you. So we had what we used to call for a long time the new plot, and uh, that was another gift from the Dwyers. After that, then, the sisters finished off, put on bits into the monastery as they needed it, you know, just they didn't complete the whole monastery as you see it now. Sister Mary, who is originally from Macroom. Well, all the sisters here take vows of poverty, chastity and obedience. They also take the vow of enclosure, which is particular to the poor Clare order. The vow of poverty means that as a community we don't own property. Now, it is possible for a community to own their own monastery. In our situation we don't, the diocese own the property. So um, it means in practice that we try to live a simple poor life. We can't have um, extra land that we don't need and we can't live on... um, Income, like some monasteries now might have a property that's rented, so we can't live on a fixed income, on a fixed um, rent or whatever, yeah. fixed income. And also, like, uh, we can't give away things without getting permission, and um, also to receive things. Well, if we receive things, we generally, we try to share among ourselves. If a sister gets a gift from a family and she doesn't need it, she'll ask another sister, does she need it? So it's, it's, um, it's a shared poverty. And again, it's to do with Jesus, really, and it's also to do with the fact that if we try to live simply and poorly we can help other people it's not and it's not just material poverty it's also spiritual poverty in the sense of um, we try not to be possessive of our own gifts or possessive of anything for that matter you know our reputation or whatever <laughs> um, it's just to try to um, to live in that attitude of the word is given to all of us and whatever gifts we receive are for everybody it's actually because people are so good to us it's an effort to live a poor life people give, people give us cakes every day it's an effort to, yeah. to live simply and poorly yeah, yeah. but we do try yeah but your, your daily needs are, are basic yeah yeah that's right yeah that's you right. live in, and you live a, I think somebody once referred to it as an uncluttered life which is which is good nowadays yeah, we do yeah. try to live simply we do exactly yeah. yeah we haven't got the expenses other people might have like a mortgage or we haven't got our hair done every week or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the latest style we wear the same brown habit every day yeah well we might have a warmer and a lighter one but yeah. basically it's it's our needs are simpler. Talk to me, soul sister, about a day in the life of any one of the sisters here in the monastery, how it starts and how it ends? Um, we generally get up at 5.30, uh, all going well. If 
fits of colds or flus, they wouldn't get up that early. Yeah. But half five is the, is the ideal rising time. And then um, we go then to our chapel. We call it our choir. That's just a name for the, our chapel. It's our private chapel. And it, it, it backs onto the pub, public chapel where the people can come every day. So at six o'clock, we have an exposition of the Blessed Sacrament. And then each sister has, we have some vocal prayers together. And then we have private prayer meditation for about 45 minutes. And then at seven o'clock, we have morning prayer, which is part of the divine office of the church. So that's basically a book. There's prescribed prayers for morning and evening prayer, night prayer, different prayers during the day. So that's, it's, it's, um, it's a church. We're delegated to pray in this way, okay. for and with the church. Um, so we pray that at seven o'clock in the morning, morning prayer. It's hymns and psalms and intercessions. And then at 7.30 we have mass. Monday to Friday and um, the people can come to the Mass and then at um, about 10 past 8 or so with breakfast and then after that the sisters go to their various duties so some sisters will go and prepare the vegetables the sisters in the kitchen will go and start cooking the, the dinner or baking or whatever I usually go to adoration at that stage so every sister has their own duties so then at quarter to 10 we've got another part a shorter part of the prayers of prayer of the church and then at 10 o'clock, we, we have, um, again, part of the prayers of the church. Um, on the weekends, we have Mass at 10 o'clock and Saturday and Sunday. The Franciscans come for Mass at 10 o'clock and Saturday and Sunday. Then after that, then um, I forgot to say we have spiritual reading at quarter past nine in the morning. That's about half an hour for spiritual reading, which is a very important part of the day to nourish us and keep us close to the Lord. So then at um, half ten, again, we go to whatever our work is. At the moment, my work now would be opening the post, really. Um, people write to us for prayers from all over the country and all over the world, really. We get letters from America and England everywhere. So that's one of my jobs, to open the post at that time. Everybody helps with answering the letters because we have quite a good volume of letters. Another sister then will be available to meet the public. We've got, for an hour in the morning, two hours in the afternoon, people can call and ask for prayers. We're on College Road between the Bond Square Hospital and Brookfield Student Accommodation and also the, the nursing complex there. So um, we're very centrally located so people come to us all the time for prayers um, so they'll meet a sister if they come at the hours that we're open they'll meet a sister and uh, they can ask for prayers and we'll pray for them and uh, I think just to listen is very important that people can come and that somebody will listen to them and it's, it's in confidence and they really appreciate that somebody will pray for them so that's uh, an important service which we're glad glad to offer Cork City and County escaped the 1942-43 outbreak of polio completely. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case in the summer and early autumn of 1956. By the 9th of August that year, 90 cases had been reported in the city and 34 in the county. The people of Cork flocked to the Poor Clare sisters asking for prayers to protect them. To this day, and especially during the recent recession, people still call here asking for help in prayer. I suppose what probably happens is that the, the problems, well, sickness is always there, and then at exam time there might be people coming about exams. But definitely with the recession, um, that's, that's a problem that, um, you know, it's in a sense, I suppose what's new about it is that people who kind of maybe were quite comfortable are now, could be in crisis now. Mm-hmm. Whereas you'd always have some unemployment and some of that sort of thing. But nowadays it's, it's sort of, um, it's kind of maybe a more hidden suffering for some people because they might appear to be quite well off, but actually maybe the fridge is empty or they can't pay their heating bill or whatever. So it's, it's very difficult and we do meet that problem a lot. For most of the nuns here, they would initially have never thought about dedicating the rest of their life to God, let alone becoming a poor Clare sister and also taking a vow of enclosure. 
that certainly was the case for Margaret from Newmarket, now Sister Faustina. I had no notion of being a nun. It was the last, <laughs> the last thing I had in my mind. When I'd been growing up, I would have, I would have lost my faith. I would have stopped practicing. I would have stopped going to mass. And um, I always believed in God, but um, it was too much hard work to practice what He was asking me to do. You know, it was. And I had no understanding of what God's love was for me. I had no experience of it personally in myself. You know, and um, but my mother, and my father had great faith, and. Um, they encouraged me in the faith, you know. But when I left home, I didn't practice it. I started working in hotels, and I lived abroad for a while. I lived in London, and I lived in Amsterdam. And um, during that time, I did what all young people do, their own thing. I went off, and I did what made me feel happy. And I was a very selfish person. I never took anybody else into consideration. I just did what I wanted to do. And I didn't think about God or anything at all. We'd be down the pub chatting, and people would bring up about God, and they'd be saying, I don't believe in God. I could never agree with them they are now you know I said oh he's there alright but I that's all I could say I couldn't say anymore yeah so then um, what happened then was I was 27 and my father got sick I had got into a rush in my life and I knew that I wasn't happy I knew that there was more to life than what I was doing like and but I didn't know what it was and I didn't know how to find it you know so then when my father got sick I said to my sister I was living in Amsterdam at the time I said tell me if things get very bad and Mammy can't look after him because I'd like to come home and help you know because I I wouldn't have liked to you know see my mother burdened that way it was a huge decision then it really was a huge decision to leave Amsterdam and to come back because I knew I, I, was, I had a boyfriend there and I was leaving him and I knew that I was leaving my own agenda, you know, and I was giving up a part of what my life in one way. But I also knew that if I did, I would never regret it. I couldn't explain it, you know. This was just what was going on in my own heart. I know, yeah, yeah. You know. So I did. I came home and I helped my mother to look after my father. And it was a real time of grace for me. My mother and my father um, had great faith so I was back into the family home again. I was living with them, and um, we lived we lived across the road from the church. So, because uh, things were so difficult for my mother, with my father being sick, you know, and um, he wasn't going to get better, that um, I decided to go back to mass, just you know, so that she wouldn't have be worrying about me, that I wouldn't be, you know, an extra okay, burden yeah. to her. So I just I just said I'd sit in the back. She's not going to do me any harm, you know. <laughs> So, sat in the back anyway, and um, this continued on for a while, and then um, my mother and myself cared for my father, and um, my father, his illness, he couldn't speak. Now, he could understand what you'd say to him, and you could say, Daddy, would you like a cup of tea? And he'd say yes or no, but that's as far as the conversation would go. Mm-hmm. So, I, I knew that, um, I thought that he might like, you know, to say some prayers or something, so I, I started praying the rosary with him and he couldn't answer it. So I'd start giving it out and I'd start answering it. I didn't really have a clue what I was doing, like, you know, but I was just doing it anyway because I loved my father, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I knew this is what he wanted. So then um, I started reading the Bible to him. And I, again, I didn't have a clue, like, and I just picked it up and I started reading the Old Testament. That didn't make any sense to me. So I kind of skipped that and went down to the Gospels. At least I kind of understood them. So I started, but it was really for Daddy I was doing it, not for myself. And then, as I started reading it, I was reading it out loud, and I was reading it to Daddy. Do you know what I said? This kind of makes sense, you know. Some of it kind of, it was kind of going into me.
Sister Mary is the eldest sister here at the Poor Clare Monastery in College Road. She also hadn't given much thought to a vocation in her young days growing up in McCroom. That time, not a long time ago, I was born in 1944, so um, I'm the eldest here now, actually. Oh, it was, uh, like, it's different, but it was, it was, I suppose, different and the same, in a, in a sense, except we didn't have television, there was no television here at the time, and um, I suppose we knew far less about the world, if you know what I mean, than people do today. We had the radio, all right, of course, and uh, life was, was uh, easy, really, and, and uh, happy, thank God. And uh, we had the Mercy Sisters, and the we had not the Christian brothers, but um, the De La Salle brothers were there. And so that's all the girls went to the Mercy, really, and the boys to the De La Salle. That was life in, in McCroom in those days. But uh, we were aware of girls around the place going off to be nuns, you know. And uh, then people went, they joined missionary orders and they went off to the missions and never came back again, like as far as, as we knew. Anyway, we never saw them around again. So, um, which was all taken, for, taken, accepted, like it was part of life in those days. And when did you realise you had a vocation? Well, um, like Sister Clet Marie now, I, uh, at a fairly young age, I had a feeling that maybe God might be calling me all right, you know. And um, I was travelling in a double-decker bus one day past the monastery here with another girl. And I don't know where we were going, but anyway, as we were passing this place, she looked down and she said, imagine, she said, another girl we knew in college, she has a sister in there. And I remember looking over to see what she was talking about. And um, I looked down and all I could see was concrete, really, and a tiny patch of grass in front that was the, around a statue. And the rest seemed to be all grey concrete and very small windows, narrow windows. And I got a kind of a shiver. I said, oh, God, imagine being buried in there now for the rest of your life in, <laughs> in the middle of the city, you know. And eventually I said, OK, Lord, no. but if I, if I go anywhere, I'd like to be in the country at least. So I was thinking of Glencairn, but I somehow never got there. <laughs> and um, eventually I, I came in here. It was, uh, it was near and it, it, had, it was actually, I think, the enclosure that attracted me in the end, the idea of going in and staying there. I had no attraction like to the missions or to going around visiting schools or anything like that now and um, so I, I, that really was what attracted me to to uh, to go and to be with God like before we leave you do bear in mind that program recorded with the late John Doc O'Driscoll was recorded back in 2014 veterinary practices and treatments have changed since then so until Sunday evening next from myself John Green enjoy what remains of your Sunday and do have a great week goodbye for now